Y'all know me. Know how I earn a living. I'll catch this bird for you, but it ain't gonna be easy. It's bad fish. Not like going down the pond chasing bluegills or tommy cards. This shark, swallow you whole. Shaking, tenderizing. Down you go. And we gotta do it quick. That'll bring back the tourists. That'll put all your businesses on a paying basis. But it's not gonna be pleasant. I value my neck a lot more than 3,000 bucks, Chief. I'll find him for three, but I'll catch him and kill him for 10. You gotta make up your minds. You wanna stay alive and ante up? You wanna play it cheap? Be on welfare the whole winter. I don't want no volunteers. I don't want no mates. There's too many captains on this island. $10,000 for me by myself. For that, you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. just been listening to our brand new theme tune hello everyone welcome to the ancient slumber podcast show number 15 my name is chris ward and as ever i am joined by myron schmidt how you doing myron oh what oh sorry i was sleeping there chris well yeah you bloody have been and all i've been sat here an hour screaming at my tv my monitor i should say <laughs> i've even got gore involved in the search for you gore blimey's been looking for you i believe somebody tried to Convinced me that uh, Linda Carter was naked somewhere. Yes, yes, yes. We were going to go down some other routes. <laughs> some keywords to draw you back out to the internet. <laughs> like change your star rating on Amityville, Amityville 2 to five stars on Letterboxd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See if you noticed. <laughs> anyway, yes, you haven't heard it yet, but the listeners have. We've got a new theme tune. That's cool. I it can't is wait cool. to actually hear it. I know. I'm leaving it as a surprise for you, so you've got to yeah. listen to the show. But uh, I'm going to give the chap who did it for us a little shout-out. His name is Vladimir from Belgrade, although he goes by the name of Marlborough Guy online. Uh, yeah, if you go, there's a site called Fiverr.com. Have you heard of that? Just You mentioned it before. Yeah, if it's sort of uh, professionals go on there and sell their services. You know, the minimum price is... Uh, five dollars hence why it's called fiverr but it's f-i-v-e-double-r uh yeah i went on there and put out that we're looking for a new theme tune and vladimir got in touch and did the honors for us and i'm bloody pleased with the result that is cool it is cool and it will also stop those bastards trying to do us for copyright infringement that i keep getting emails about every week <laughs> i had permission from the band they can fuck off Oh, even though the band don't own the bloody rights. But there you go. <laughs> How could they not own the rights? That'd be the publishing company. I think it's probably Earache. I can't remember what uh, what label that album came out on. But uh, yeah, so everyone can hear us now because it's our tune and no one else is bloody having it. That's right. 
And it's called Heavy Metal Master as well, which is nice. I like that. So thanks to Vladimir for that. Everybody over here always gets a kick out of uh, uh, Donald Trump. You know? <laughs> Most people over here would like to kick Donald Trump. Yeah, everybody here would. Uh, he always uses a theme song, and then the band inevitably complains. Oh, I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was Queen, and then it was, uh, you know, was it was it Eye of the Tiger? Yeah. I think so, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But yeah. No, I think somebody else used Eye of the Tiger, but Survivor didn't like it. Yeah. You know, it just. <laughs> so we just had our uh, quote unquote Republican convention last week. That's nice for you. Is it like the San Diego Comic Con convention? Is it like that? It's worse. Is it? He promised uh, Donald Trump, the uh, presumptive nominee, usually controls the party. So, you know, he promised a, a really big, lots of star power event. And who do <laughs> they get? Uh, Scott Bale. <laughs> of course. Couldn't they afford the funds? <laughs> star power was Scott Bale. Yeah. Pure, a pyramid scheme person. Yeah. Some underwear model and Antonio Sabato Jr., something like that. Uh, I don't know who that is. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> At least when Bush was in, you got people like Clint Eastwood doing stuff, didn't you? Oh, God help us. Yes, yes, he did. Yeah, we. Do. I can't remember who they get over here. I know Michael Caine did one of the Conservative Party ones once. Did he? Yeah. Well, you know, that's just a nice lead-in, because I think he was in one of these movies we were watching. He is. He was. We'll get there. <laughs> Do we have to? Yes. Oh, talking of Donald Trump, I wanted to ask you this. I don't suppose you listen to it, but on um, on BBC Radio 4 over here every week, they do um, a show called Dead Ringers. Okay. And it's uh, impressions, political impressions and sketch shows, you know, that type of thing. And there's a guy in there who does a Donald Trump impression. I'm going to have to send this to you because it is absolutely spot on. And um, But he does this thing, and I've been starting to do it at home when I'm talking to my missus now. He'll talk like Trump, and if you notice, Trump always, he says something, and then he sort of follows it up with a very high pitch, and that's great. Like that, doesn't he? <laughs> I know he does. And I've been doing that, <laughs> me and my missus were shopping earlier, you know, she's picking things off the show, do you want these, what do you I'm not going, hmm, hot dog sausages, that'll be great. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm doing my own little Trump impersonations now. <laughs> and my son actually showed me a game on his phone the other day, it's called Punch Trump, I think. And you just have to touch the screen and it throws a fist in Donald Trump's face. Oh, sweet. You have to get so many hits in and all that. A bit like Mike Tyson's punch out on the Nintendo. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Hell it well. was, I mean, it was bad. You know, he bragged and bragged about star power and the star he gets is Scott Bale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is quite sad, isn't it? <laughs> it's oh, pathetic. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, you can see why Clint Eastwood didn't want to come forward for that one, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think there are some places, these political people, they will stop, you know. They may have strong views, but no, we draw the line somewhere. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well. Right, then. Should we move on? Yeah. Do we need to talk about Boris Johnson as your new foreign minister? Oh, we can fuck off. What's the point in that? Oh, God. <laughs> I have no idea. <sighs> I think it's just a case of, right, you got us into this mess. Now you can deal with it. I think that that's the only reason I can come up with for why he was chosen. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know either. Oh, but there you go. Well, well, what can you do? I don't know. Oh, well, hopefully you'll just fuck it up and then they'll sack him. That's right. That's right. But there you go. This was The World in Geopolitical Analysis by <laughs> Myron and Chris. Yes. Put the worlds to rights. One day at a time. Exactly. Four Jaws films. Plus, we're going to have a little chat about The Witch. 
Yes. Ooh, I watched it two nights ago. You've seen it before. I have. Saw it in the movie theater. Ooh, this could be controversial. And before that, we're going to do some good, some bad, some ugly. Yes, we are. Right. Let's do that then. Music. Cue it. Right then, kick us off, Myron. Kick us off with something good. Surprisingly. You dare say found footage. Surprisingly, we're going to go with the found footage film. Fucking hell. (laughs) It was one I mentioned I was going to watch last week called Lake Mungo. Oh, yes. I have seen that, but I don't really remember much about it. This is the one where they... It's got more twists and turns than a double helix DNA model. I'm sure that's a twisty turny thing. Remember, it's about the girl who drowns, and then at first they think she's a ghost, but the son faked it, or the the brother faked it. Mm. And then she was really a ghost to the photographers, but there's a whole lot of stuff that build up to that point. I've got to be honest, I watched it when it came out, and I cannot remember a damn thing about it. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I'm not surprised found footage usually doesn't click with you, so. No. But I really enjoyed found, uh, Lake Mungo. It was, uh. Good, let's move on. Right. It was, it was excellent. Alright. It was excellent. It was excellent. You enjoyed it. I did. Oh, good oh. What about you, Chris? What about me? I watched a film, you'll probably laugh at me for this actually, but I really love this film. A found footage film. La Bamba. <sighs> I love La Bamba. Oh, God. Rock and roll. It's an 80s film set in the 50s. What's not to fucking like? <sighs> That's true. <laughs> Except for the movie La Bamba. It's a great film. What do you want about? Can you remember what happened in it? Uh, He died at the end, unfortunately. Yeah. See, that's more than I can remember about Lake fucking Mungo. <laughs> so obviously it made more of an impression. <laughs> uh, touche. Fair play. Get out of that one, Perry. Mm-mm. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Yeah, I love La Bamba. I saw it in 87 about 150 times in one weekend. I love it. I love rock and roll anyway. Yeah, I know a lot of biographies get a little bit sort of sugary and a little bit wash over some of the facts, but I think it's a pretty good film. It puts you in that place, which I like. A good biography does that. It puts you in that place, and that's what it does. I enjoy it. Excellent. That's all I'm going to say. Excellent. And that's great, as Trump would say. (laughs) I'll probably keep doing that because I think it's funny. (laughs) <laughs> it's a big beautiful just beautiful movie it is oh god give us a bad one then oh well we're gonna have to go back to 2009 for the bad one. Oh, okay this is a movie called paintball right i don't know that one well you're one of the lucky ones is it called something else over here i think it's just called paintball to be honest okay yep don't know that one it's a definitely it's a play on most dangerous game okay yeah you know Group of people off to play the world's best paintball course in Russia. <clears throat> you know, Russia. Yeah, because that's where you'd go for that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. Slowly being picked off um, by somebody shooting live bullets at him. No. Yeah, I know. Oh. Didn't they do that in Child's Play 3 when he swapped the blanks for live ones? I don't know. Ah. It, it, it was just bad. Oh. Anyone in it we know? Uh, no. Oh. No, no. Oh, not Scott Bio, anyone like that? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Oh, dear. They couldn't even afford him. No, they couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Is it found footage? <laughs> no, not Oh, this. bloody hell. What's wrong with you, man? Yeah, don't worry. We're going to get there on the ugly. No, oh, of course we are. <laughs> 
Uh, my bad is a film called The Creeps from 1997. It's a Charles Band film. It's it's a nice idea. It's sort of a, a scientist <laughs> brings back Dracula, the mummy, Frankenstein, the wolfman, but he does it slightly wrong, and they come back as three-foot-high midgets. Can I say midgets? Well, I just did. So, yeah, three-feet-high midgets. Oh, God. It's quite a cool idea. If you watch the trailer, it looks quite good. Uh, and then you watch the film. Fuck me. Oh. It's pitiful. It really is pitiful. The guy who plays the Dracula is... The, I can't remember. never remember his name. He's in loads of films. He's in Land of the Dead. He plays that little midget fella when they go into the fighting arena. And I think he's in Troll as well, the first Troll film. You'll know him if you see him. Yeah, he plays a little midget Dracula. He's quite good. It's just bad. It's boring. Not a lot really happens. The best stuff's in the trailer. Watch the trailer. Don't watch the film. <laughs> Why did you watch that? I've got it because... <laughs> It's part of a series come out from 88 films. It's like their Grindhouse series. You know, they do the Italian slasher series and all that sort of stuff. Okay. okay. Yeah. They Years ago, they did a series called the Grindhouse series, and I'm sort of collecting those at the moment, and it's just part of that. So if it wasn't part of that, I wouldn't have bothered with it. Okay. But it's in that series. It only cost me a couple of quid, and it looks nice on my shelf with all the numbered spines with all the others. <laughs> well, if it's only a couple of quid, that's fine. That's it, yeah. Oh, God. Go on then, ugly. Ugly. Yeah. We're going to have to dip into the most maligned genre style of filmmaking. Romantic comedy. Uh, found footage. Oh, there's a surprise. So I, the, the sole reason I watched this is one of the taglines in the description was the first NC-17 oh. found, found footage. Yes, I saw you tweet about that, yeah. Okay, all right. Called Lucky Bastard. <laughs> yeah. Certainly does not describe any of the viewers of this movie. Mm -hmm. Essentially, what the premise is, is some guy writes into a, web, a porn website, writes an essay or fills out an application, and gets chosen to have relations with a porn star on the site. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of extracurricular nudity and sex that really doesn't go with the movie, but hey, they wanted an NC-17, so they have a lot of sex. So is that what gets it the rating? Yes. All yes. right. There's no yes. gore or violence or nothing? Well, they, I'm getting there, but there's just, there's a lot of sex. Okay. And, uh, so they get the guy, they take him to the house, they're going to shoot the porn where he's in it with the porn star, and he has a little, uh, premature issue, if you will. Ah. Everybody laughs at him, everybody makes fun of him. Well, it's not premature because it happened at the right time for him. Oh, uh, no. It happened when she touched it. Yeah, but at the right time for him. He didn't care when it was coming, did he? Well, I think he wanted to actually, you know, be in the act. He didn't even make it that far. <laughs> okay. So they all laugh at him, and then he kills everybody. Yeah, sounds fair to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, decent premise. The kill stuff was actually, it was all right, but, you know, mm. it, it was just, it was ugly because they wanted to make an NC-17 movie, so... They threw a lot of sex at it. Really didn't make that much of a difference, but it just yeah yeah it was. Well, there you go. Don't watch it. Well, I probably won't anyway. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you want to see a whole bunch of female nudity, go watch Nude for Satan. Well, yes, there you go. There's a recommendation. You hated that film. I hate this one more. Oh, okay. On that note, My Ugly is a film that we spoke about last week as well. Oh Lord, Amityville Three. <laughs> I watched that DVD that I got with the Kim Newman, Steve Jones commentary. Yes. 
Uh, I did enjoy the commentary. It was very, very good. Not as good as the Amityville 2 one, but still very good. But it dawned on me whilst watching the film that it really is a bland-looking film. There's not a lot of colour to it. And it's very... It feels like Amityville on a budget. Uh, A bigger budget than what came after it, certainly. But, um, yeah, and while you're watching the film, there are things that I never noticed before, like um, the eyes of the house have actually been changed to square ones on one side of the house. Really? Yeah, so when you actually see the uh, tr- the uh, you know the sort of the triangular shape eyes that we know, they're only on one side of the house on this one, which is the side with the balcony overlooking the lake. But on all the other films, the side that we see is the side with the front door on. Yeah, I didn't notice it till Kim Newman pointed it out in the commentary. They went, "Oh yeah." <laughs> to be fair, it's a better print if you get the special edition. It's a better print of the film than if you buy the standard edition. And the commentary is worth it, but it's not a very pleasant film to look at. It's quite bland looking. Do you know what I mean? It's not a lot of colour. There's, it's, everything looks grey or brown. It's just not a great looking film. But I, I enjoyed the commentary, but whether I watch it again, I'm not too sure. But you did buy the collector's edition. Well, yes, it sits with my Amityville 2 one very nicely. Because <laughs> obviously Twitter is on my side when it comes to the Amityville 2 reviews. Yeah, apparently it is. Yes. So you're wrong. I'm frequently wrong. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that that's it. Good, bad, and ugly, really. Yeah, although I could go with a lot more uglies, I gotta tell you, boy, I saw some real dogs. Maybe I haven't watched much to be honest, because I've had so I've been uh, HGV training all week, so I haven't watched much. Did you have like a class you had to be at? Yeah, I, oh, I did uh, about four days of intensive lessons in the nice hot sun over here in the eight-hour lessons in the truck cab with no air conditioning. Oh, third world problems, you know. Yuck. <laughs> yes, it was very hot. Yuck. But I did pass the test, so there you go. Did you have to take a written test and a driving test? Yes, I had to do uh, my, my first ever theory test, which I scraped by with one point to spare. Doesn't matter, does it? No, a pass is a pass. That's right. That's right. That's right. Luckily, when I did my driving test, it was over 20 years ago, so I didn't have to do all that then. But there you really? Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, and nice. It, and you came in in the late 90s, I think 1997, something like that. I did mine in 1994, so... Gotcha. Anyway, enough of the domestic stuff. Should we move on to some films? Let's do it. Okie dokie. Let's move on to our first one of the night. That is Jaws. Ooh. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. This is Universal's extraordinary motion picture version of Peter Benchley's best-selling novel, Jaws. I just found out that a girl got killed here last week. And you knew it. You knew there was a shark out there. You knew it was dangerous. But you let people go swimming anyway. Oh, my God. 
yell barracuda. Everybody says, huh? What? You yell shark. We've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. Is it true that most people get attacked by sharks in three feet of water, about 10 feet from the beach? Yeah. What we are dealing with here is a perfect engine, uh, an eating machine. We're not only going to have to close the beach, we're going to have to hire somebody to kill the shark. Bad fish. But I'll catch him and kill him. Did you hear your father out in the water now? This shark, swallow you whole. You're going to need a bigger boat. That's a 20-footer. 25. Three tons of them. Hold it up, he's coming straight for us. Don't screw it up now. Don't wait for me. Now! Shoot! fantasies of evil can compare with the reality of Jaws. Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfus, Jaws. See it before you go swimming. Right then. Jaws, 1975, directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfuss, Lorraine Gary, Murray Hamilton, Carl Gottlieb, Jeffrey Kramer, and based on the book by Peter Benchley. Yes. Yes. Have you ever read the book? Yes, I have. Yes. What do you think? Oh, I love the book. I thought the book is really good. Yeah. See, to me, Jaws is, whenever anybody says to me, Oh, you know, that. oh, you should read the book. The book's always better than the film. I always throw back at them, Jaws. Because <laughs> the book is not better than the film. Oh. It has moments, but I don't think it's that great, a book. You know, to be honest, I haven't read it in years and years and years. If they made the film as it is in the book, it would not be revered as the masterpiece that it is today. Yeah, yeah. I think it's true to say. Anyway, right. Do you have a synopsis for this one? Or should I just read out what's on the page? <laughs> Shark enters waters, typically not inhabited by great whites, and eats people. Ooh. Right then. So, did you see this at cinemas? No, I did not. Oh, I did. I did not. I did, but not in 1975, because I wasn't born. Oh, shut up. I saw it in cinemas in 2013, <laughs> when it got an HD re-release. How was it? Oh, fucking brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. One of the best looking films I've seen on the Especially screen. Especially with that uh, surround sound and the music. Oh, that must have been great. It was. It was. Uh, I've seen, apart from Jaws 2, I've seen all of them on the big screen. I've only seen Jaws 3D on the screen. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know. Trust me. <laughs> anyway. But, uh, yeah. <clears throat> but no, I mean, it's uh, it, it ranks up there to me um, in terms of musical score with the uh, you know, Halloween and the thing in terms of uh, just phenomenal music scores. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's, uh, every, as soon as you hear those first two notes, everybody knows what what's going to happen. Yes, absolutely. So we're on Amity Island, which 
it's supposed to, in the book is supposed to be on near Long Island, isn't it? Yes, it but, is. But it's actually Massachusetts in the film, I believe. Is it? Yeah, if you look at some of the boats on the license plates, they've got MS. I thought it was New York. I'll be darned. Now, I think there's a little bit of confusion. In the book, it's clearly defined as being part of New York. But on the, yes. in the film, I think they filmed it at Martha's Vineyard. Uh, and a lot of the boats have got Massachusetts plates on them. Ah, gotcha. So gotcha. I think it's a little bit sort of mysterious in the film where it actually is. Yeah, we've got uh, Police Chief Brody, played by Roy Scheider. Him and his wife, Ellen, and their two kids have moved to Amity Island uh, from New York. They're not seen as islanders because they weren't born there. So there's a little bit of a sort of an exclusion yes, around yes. them, which plays into Brody's character quite a bit, I think. Yes, it does. So we've got them. Uh, who else have we got? We've got Mayor Vaughan, played by Murray Hamilton, who I'm sure is could double as Ian Gillen from Deep Purple. If you look at Ian Gillen now, he looks just like it. <laughs> he does. And that's great. Yeah, Murray Hamilton, oh. plays, he plays the mayor who wants to keep the beaches open because there's a, a financial incentive to do so, obviously. Yes, yes. They need to earn their money for, the, uh, for when they shut down in the winter. Uh, also, we have Hooper, played by Richard Dreyfus, who is a young scientist who has come along to uh, help them catch the shark. And the other major player is probably my favourite character in the whole film. In fact, the whole series is Quint, <laughs> played by Robert Shaw. I want to be Quint when I'm older. <laughs> <laughs> I just think he's brilliant. <laughs> it's it's a, the actor does. I mean, it's a. He makes it an incredible, memorable character. Yes, he is. He's got a, a song for all occasions. He's always, he hates Hooper, <laughs> the little rich kid. He does. He likes to uh, voice his authority over the chief when they're out at sea. Because <laughs> it's his boat. That's right. So, uh, but yeah, he's a very interesting character. He is very much the, uh, oh, fuck me, I forgot what it's called now. Who's the captain in Moby Dick? Ahab? Ahab. He's very much the Ahab of this film, isn't it? Yes. You know, he's going to go down with his boat. He's going to stop at nothing to catch this shark, which he doesn't really. Well, he does stop at nothing. Um, so, yeah. So the first half of the film, we're really setting up Brody and the situation back in Amity. You know, they want to keep the beaches open. Brody knows there's a shark there and he wants to shut the beaches. He's opposed by Mayor Vaughan and his band of councillors <laughs> who really are. They do need a slap, don't they? <laughs> you know. Oh, I suppose it should be said in the book that the mayor, Mayor Vaughan, he wants to keep the beaches open because he owes money to the mafia. Interesting. Yes, which they didn't bring into the film, but they could quite easily have. But yeah, that's one of the things that Spielberg cut out of the uh, of the story. He also cut, okay. He also cut out the affair between Hooper and Ellen Brody. Boy, it's been years since I read Jaws. Yeah, in the in the book, uh, Hooper and Ellen Brody have an affair, and obviously that sets up the final act when Hooper and Brody are on the boat together because they've got to work together to survive. Oh, okay. Okay, but again, wisely, Spielberg cut that out. Otherwise, it would have been a bit too soap opery, I think. Yeah, it would have been a... Yeah. But I think you still get that tension between the three main characters at the end when they're on the boat, which is great. You've got, obviously got Police Chief Brody, who on land is the authority, but out to sea, he's got nothing. That's right. And he can't swim and he's not a seafaring person and he's, forgive the pun, but he's out of his depth. Yes. You've got Hooper, who's got all the gadgets, who knows what to do when, if he was reading it in a textbook. But when it comes to actually catching a 25-foot great white, 
You may need a little bit more than a syringe. That's right. And then you've got, got Quint, who's bound to use his tiny boat and his wits only to catch the shark. Yes, he's an experienced shark fisherman, but he's never come across one this big before. So they use the ingenious idea that Steven Spielberg came up with of tying barrels to the shark to draw him to the surface of the water so they can drown him. Yes, yes. Which uh, doesn't always go to plan. <laughs> no, it which doesn't. is a lot like the making of the film. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen uh, the documentary? I have not. The I shark not. is not working. Oh, it's a fantastic documentary. The shark is not working? Yeah, if you get the Blu-ray... Uh, it comes on that. There's two documentaries. There's a making of Jaws, which is about an hour and a half long, which is quite good. And there's one called The Shark Is Not Working, uh, which is a fantastic documentary. Goes into everything. Interviews with, you know, Roy Scheider, Richard Dreyfuss, Steven Spielberg, everybody involved. Right, right, right. Yeah. So basically, because when you when you mention Jaws to people, the first thing they always go, oh, the shark looks fake. You think, well, of course it does. They're not going to use a real one, are they? But... <laughs> When, when people make that comment, you kind of wish they would use a real one on them. Well, yeah, I mean, it's one of those other things. Yeah, it does look fake, but the way that Spielberg shoots it, you don't notice it. I think the only, the only thing that's really wrong with it, it looks a bit jowly around the mouth. It really doesn't detract at all from the movie. At all. No. And you got to remember, this is 1975, you know, there's no computer effects. There's no, uh, I mean, there is puppet animation, but it's not as refined as it would become. So. Right. You know, Spielberg had to find a way to keep the shark in on the screen, but not so much that you'd notice how rubber it is. And that's why he came up with the idea of the barrels, which Quint Julie does by shooting the shark with three barrels, and he still can't drown the fucking thing. <laughs> not even throwing his own body down the shark's mouth does stops it. No, that's a great scene when Quint gets it. Spoiler for Jaws, Quint gets it. <laughs> But he had to. He had to. He had to die fighting the fish. That's right. There's no other way for him to die. No, no. Fantastic character. Fantastic film. Uh, this was one of those films that in the early days of VHS, you would, I would always see this on the video rental shelf in the shop. You, I don't know about over there, but in the UK, it used to be on telly quite a lot in the early 80s, usually on a bank holiday, Easter Monday, something like that. You'd either get Jaws or Jaws 2. Absolutely. So, you know, during those early years... You know, Jaws was sort of the film, really. It was, um, I mean, it is, it is a horror film. People, I, a guy the other day asked me, what's your favourite horror film? And I said, well, strictly speaking, it's Jaws. And he said, is that a horror film? And I said, well, you wouldn't want to be in the water with it, would you? <laughs> Which is true. And also, you know, Jaws, it may be a rubber shark, but I've always said this, Jaws is still the reason that I look twice whenever I get into any body of water. That's right. That's and right. Everybody always does. You look and you look again, just to be sure. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's so well done. It's a completely character driven movie. And, yes. I mean, it just is some amazing acting all the way through. I think that's the point is it is character driven rather than shark driven. Yep. Um, you know, you like Chief Brody. You want him to to be the hero. You know, you like Hooper because he's funny and he's, you know, he's got all the gadgets. You like Quint, even though he's an obnoxious bastard. He's a great character. That's right. <laughs> and he's also got probably the best scene in the film is when he's re retelling uh, the events of the uh, USS Indianapolis in World War Two. That's right. <laughs> Which was, well, it's not, it's not funny, is it? <laughs> Which, no, uh, but it's a funny scene. It's a good scene. It's, it's when the three men bond, really. 
Yes, and I love the way that Quint and uh, Hooper are showing each other their scars from different shark bites, and Brody just lifts up his top where he's been shot and just puts it back down again. <laughs> I, I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to compete with these guys. Yeah, it's a great film. Uh, let's say there's some good poignant moments in it. You know, Quint telling his story of dropping off the Hiroshima bomb, which I do believe Robert Shaw was actually involved in that in real life. I'm sure somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that is the case. I know. Really? Yes. And I do know that Robert Shaw rewrote that scene. A lot of people say he wrote it from scratch. I don't think he did. I think somebody else wrote it and originally, and then he reworded it, is my understanding anyway. Okay, okay. So, uh, yeah, it's a great scene. It's, it's a little bit of a calm before the storm of the final attacks. The only thing I think you can really say, uh, that's not quite correct, is when is the way the shark dies. Because um, if you shoot a compressed air tank, they don't explode like that. They're not flammable. Well... You know, if you shot it in the right place, it would probably shoot through the back of the shark's ass at quite a rate. It would kill it, but it wouldn't explode. Yeah, but that's not fine. No, no, that's right. You've got to heighten, I mean, heighten that. And I think with with the sense of drama of that final scene, it all fits. You know, it's like it's like when you watch a James Bond film, you've got that escalation up to the final point, and you know, you might get a ridiculous ending, but it it works for the film, doesn't it? Absolutely, it does. Yeah. Absolutely. Lovely. So, anything else to say on Jaws? I, you know, I don't think so. It's, uh, it's, dare I say, it's a masterpiece. It is. I think it's pretty much, I mean, people, people say, you know, perfect film. I don't know if there is such a thing as a perfect film, but I think there's a few that come close, and this is one of them. Yes, I would absolutely agree. For me. So this is a definite five, uh, what should we have this time? Dorsal fins out of five. No, that's too obvious. Let's go for something different. Let's go for five, five, five legged women. I was going to say Spanish ladies out of five. Oh, we're on the same we're on the same track. Yeah, bow legged bow legged Spanish women. There you go. <laughs> that's right. You've got to know the film to know what that's about. Yeah. 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 It's a top draw film. Um, I can't fault it really. No, no, and it doesn't matter how many times you've seen it. No, it is one of my favorite films. If you look on my letterbox profile, it, you know where you put your four favorite films in. It is in there. It sometimes switches around with Rocky as to which is my favorite on any given day, but uh, <laughs> it's definitely my top two favorite films of all time. Oh, yeah, you are a complete Rocky nut. I am. And we are going to do do Rocky one day. You are a complete Rocky nut. I know, I am. But that was Jaws. Should we move on? Yeah, let's move on to Jaws 2. Jaws 2. Let's play a clip. Jaws 2. The terror continues. In all the vast and unknown depths of the ocean... How could there have been only one? Did you ever stop to think about that? 
And I know what a shark looks like because I've seen one up close. And you better do something about this one because I don't intend to go through that hell again. Don't press it this time. Mike is out there. fantasies of evil can compare with the reality of Jaws. Jaws 2, 1978. Yes. I thought it was 77. Oh, there you go. 78. Directed by, I'm going to kill this name, Gino Zvark. I don't know. Don't even ask me. Apologies, Mr. Svark, if I got your name wrong, but uh, <laughs> you can quite easily mispronounce mine if you like. Right. Starring Roy Scheider, Lorraine Gary, Murray Hamilton, Jeffrey Kramer. Uh, Keith Gordon is in this. Oh, I like Keith Gordon. And Mark Gilpin. Right. Do you, do you, before we get started, do you know that there's a script controversy with this? Is there? Do tell. There is. The, the script that they used was not the first script. The first script was written by a guy named Hank Searles. Ah, uh, yeah, he wrote the novelization. And that's where he got the novelization from. Yes. And it's a lot darker. It's really actually a very good book. I used to have it. I don't have it anymore. Yeah, I do. And uh, I've read it about a year ago and really, really, really enjoyed it. So, um, But for whatever reason, they went with the the brighter, more airy script rather than the, you know, the, the darker that's probably why, because you said it there, it's brighter and airy. I think they were trying to pull in a more teenage audience, maybe. We'll, we'll get to that at number three. <laughs> okay. Well, on this one, have you got a synopsis? Shark comes back to Amityville and eats people. Amityville? Fucking hell, that will be a good film. I mean, Amity. <laughs> God almighty. Oh, there's a script waiting to be written. Oh, <laughs> you got the haunted house, we run out to the lake for safety. Oh, bollocks, there's a shark in there. Well, now listen, I have seen Malibu Shark Attack. I've seen Two-Headed Shark Attack, Three-Headed Shark Attack. Oh, I haven't seen three. I've seen two. Ghost Shark. Have you seen Shark Exorcist yet? Uh, No. Avalanche Shark, Sand Shark. Sharknado? All the Sharknados. Uh, Shark Attack? One, two, and three? Uh, No, I've not seen those. Oh, they're fucking awful. Yeah. But the the Three-Headed Shark, isn't that the one um, with Danny Trejo in it? I don't know. I think it is. I haven't seen, I've seen Two-Headed Shark Attack, and that's got somebody's brother in it, isn't it? Is it Don Swayze or somebody like that? It's the brother of somebody famous, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. It's one of them, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I'll never forget. I told you that one, didn't I? I saw that. I can't remember what film it was. And it said starring, it said along the top, Stallone, Swayze, and somebody else. I can't and it remember. was all the brothers. Yeah, Frank Stallone, Don Swayze. I thought, oh, and there was somebody else in it. I can't remember who it was. Oh, Jesus Christ. I think it was Bo Bridges. <laughs> you, know, you think, oh, Sylvester Stallone, Patrick Swayze, and Jeff Bridges. That'll be good. Oh, it's the brothers. <laughs> no. And I, 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 say, I do like Frank Stallone. I think he's funny. <laughs> Especially if you look at his Twitter feed. But anyway, he's a celebrity I thought would come out for Trump on one of them rallies. You know who's got an awesome Twitter feed? Uh, David Coverdale. Is a, uh, a singer. Uh. But it uh, goes by the name of James Blunt. Oh, fuck off. No, he is. It is. He is on point, buddy. I am telling you he's on point. Do you not know much about James Blunt? All I know is I was trapped on an airplane mm. and I was had my headphones in and they had this like these 
uh, commercials, mm-hmm. every commercial had his song. Same song. Yeah. Three hours on a flight. That's the running joke with him. I was having a bad day. When we spoke about Trump earlier and you said about Scott Bio. Yes. Uh, and you laughed. Why did you laugh? Because it's Chachi from Happy Days. Yeah, you know, somebody who's not really very famous for being what they are, but famous for just being something different. Yes, yes. That's a bit like James Blunt over here. <laughs> he's it's like uh, he's, he's a one-hit wonder, basically. He had one song a few years ago, that Your Beautiful song, uh, and it became one of those... Every you know, People have it at funerals and weddings and all this sort of oh, stuff. Oh, God. Oh, it's, God. It's one of them. And he's become a bit of a joke because... He appears on, sometimes he appears on panel shows and things, and he always ends up just coming back to that song. So there's a series of adverts over here now for, um, the National Lottery, and they keep, they put like a celebrity that you, you don't like in it, and they say, you know, the slogan is, don't let them be the winner or something like that. And they've done one with him, and it's just him playing his song everywhere. It, oh. You God. turn on your computer, and that song comes out, and it says, please don't let it be him. <laughs> yeah, he's a bit of a joke over here. Oh, well, his Twitter feed is on point. I'm telling you, it is hysterical. Now oh, that's probably all he's got now, the fucking posh twat. <laughs> Scott Bale. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sweet baby Jesus. That, I'll put it this way. If Boris Johnson got James Blunt to be his you know, campaign runner like that. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that's... On par, that's the same sort of level oh, we're looking at. Oh, God. Yeah, okay. Oh. Anyway, where were we? Jaws 2. <laughs> Jaws 2. Back to cheerier things. That's right. Yeah, Jaws was successful, so it was going to get a sequel. Yes. A bit of an obvious sequel, I think. I really like this film. Oh, I do too. I think... I absolutely love this film. If the first film didn't exist, this would probably be the best shark film out there. I really... I, I loved it. I thought it was a great film. I like this because... I always view this as a slasher film. It's gone quiet. Really? Yes. I think this is... Do tell. That's an interesting take on it. Because you have a group of teens sort of uh, trying to put a finger up to authority by going out for the day. Definitely. You've got a silent killer. Yes. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) You could have some unity if they wanted to go that way, but they didn't. That's right. But, um, yeah, if you look at the main plot beats of, say, Halloween... (laughs) <laughs> it's in Jaws too. Silent killer, kids out for the day. Along comes the authority figure at the end to make things right again. That's right. That's right. It's a slasher film. That absolutely is. Which is why I like it. So all the out of all the kids mm. that uh, were in that group at the end. Yes. Uh, did you recognize anybody who got a leading role in the film a few years later? You mean Keith Gordon? What film did he get a role in? My first thought is Combat Academy with a young George Clooney. But I know you're aiming towards Christine. Yes, yes. Yeah, I like Keith Gordon. And if you look at him now, he looks younger now than he did in Jaws 2. Really? Yeah, he's in, he's uh, on the Blu-ray for this. Um, there's a special feature with him, an interview with him, and he's looking pretty good for a man of his age. He's in his what, 50s now, late 50s, something like that. Yeah, yeah, I'd be about right. Yeah, he looks pretty damn good. Interesting. He could easily do a Christine sequel, I reckon, right now. Oh, shut up. Yeah, honestly, he does. He looks really good. No, we don't want a Christine sequel. No, we don't. But... Just shut up, because now you said it. Now there's going to be a Christine sequel. Yeah, and it will be with a Dodge Charger or something like that. Oh, God. 
I'd like to I'd like to see a Christine made with a Ford Pinto. Would you now? Yeah. Well, I've had I've had plenty of cars that have had minds of their own. <laughs> yes. Not quite in the same way as Christine, but Oh. So, Jaws 2, we're back in Amity. Everything's been all calm and fine since the last shark attack. Uh we've still got police chief Brody. Yes, we do. Played again by Roy Scheider, who was bloody annoyed at not being able to be in French Connection 2. Did you know that? No, I didn't know yeah. that. <laughs> he, he didn't want to make this film. He was contracted to Universal, and he owed them one more film, and he wanted to be in French Connection 2, because he was in the first one of them. Okay. Uh, the reason he's not in it is because he was contracted to Universal, and he owed them one more film. So he said, right, I'll do this to get out the contract. He certainly did phone in a performance. No, no. He he really he did well. I mean he the continuation of his character is uh near perfect. Yeah, you believe he'd stepped up a bit, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean you if you experienced that kind of a harrowing shark story, you would I mean, I would act just like he did in this movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Anytime something happens in the water, there's a shark. That's right. You know. Yep, so he's back, uh the shark is back. Brody knows the shark is back. He goes back to the mayor and the councillors with photo evidence. They, think they don't believe him. They think it's seaweed because seaweed <laughs> has eyes and teeth. That's right. So, yeah, there's no Quint this time to help him out. There's no Hooper this time to help him out. And he's on his own. So when the local kids, including his two sons, go out boating for the day, they get stranded and the shark moves in for the attack. He's basically it. That's right. It is. It's a good film. Couple of iconic moments, I think, with the water skier. There's a water skier that gets uh, done by the shark. Exactly. Which is a great scene. I love that house on the beach that, that old lady lives in. Reminds me of the uh, uh, Betty White house in Lake Placid. Yes, yes, that's a good shout. Oh, they could remake Jaws too with Betty White. That would be good. I love Betty White. She could it. replace the shark. Uh, she could. <laughs> God, I love her in Lake Placid. That is absolutely hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, one thing I noticed watching Jaws 2 this time that I've never noticed before is there's a scene when Brody is outside his house. It's at night. If you notice by his front door, he's got one of those yellow barrels and he's using it as a plant pot. I did not see that. Ah, I've never seen it before. Nice. Good, good catch. I watched, good I watched catch. it on Blu-ray for the first time. And uh, yeah, I see the, that doesn't look right. It's one of them barrels. He's got it. And he's put soil in it and there's plants on the top. <laughs> Nice little souvenir. Oh, exactly. So, yeah, so Mayor Vaughan is uh, hesitant to do anything about it. So they sack Brody. They don't want him to be police chief anymore because he causes panic on the beach. And so he pinches the police boat off of Hendrix. And I like Hendrix. We didn't mention him before. I like Hendrix. You're thinking, who's Hendrix? No, 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 no. I'm trying I'm trying to come up with the words. Um, I think why Jaws at Jaws 2 works so well, too, is they have great supporting casts. Yes, yes. People so. people like Mayor Vaughn, people like Hendrix, who play their characters in the movie to a T. Yes. Yep. E- even in Jaws, the – the uh, uh, God, the, the doctor who did the autopsy with the dark glasses – he doesn't oh, yeah. say he doesn't say anything around that when they're on the ferry, but you know you look over and he's this you know yeah dour nineteen seventies dressed dour old man just looking and like you know it, it just it's all so well done. They get across the the authority of the committee. You know yes. the committee's going to veto Brody whatever he does. They don't like him anyway because he's not an islander. 
yeah, so that plays into it again. We've got Lorraine Gary back as Ellen Brody, and I quite yes. I quite fancy her in this film. Oh yeah, I like that seventies look. Changes Absolutely. when we changes when we get to Jaws four, and she looks like Dee Snider. But in this <laughs> film, she's got that head scarf on. She's got that seventies look. Those big sunglasses. I like that. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't have a lot to do in this film, to be honest. I think maybe you could have expanded a little bit to her character getting involved with the mayor or something once they bring that girl back safely to land. But uh, yeah, I think they could have maybe have expanded on that a little bit. Would have been nice. All in all, it's a great film. It's it is it is. I may have seen it more times than the original Jaws because I think it's probably a film you can just put on and watch. Whereas Jaws is a great film, but it's one I like to put on every so often and just soak it all in and then put it away till next year sort of thing. Right, right. But right. I think Jaws 2 is one, you know, I fancy watching a shark film. I'll stick on Jaws 2. Yeah. In the same way you'd watch a good Friday the 13th sequel or something like that, you know. So, yeah, I like that. Uh, exactly. Yeah, the end, he kills the shark with an electric cable, which is sort of uh, foretold very early on in the film. Yes. <laughs> the only thing I don't like about this, and I'm, they can't really help it, is when the shark is burning at the end... I don't think a flesh and blood creature would burn like that. Yeah, but again, whereas a, fi- jars. a fiberglass shark would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can tell it's fiberglass the way the flames are shooting out the eyes and that. It's a little bit, you know, it looks like a burnt out car. <laughs> but, you know, what are they going to do? You know, again, it's that believability, you know, the impossible we can believe, the implausible isn't so easy to believe, you know. The, uh, the iconic helicopter scene. Yeah, the guy with the most 70s beard ever. And those big, big uh, headphones on. Yeah. You think he's going to save the day because he lands on the water? Uh-oh, what happens? I must say, that's a pretty quick shark as well, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I also think it's probably the best looking shark in the series. You think so? I think so. Maybe. Huh. It's not quite as jowly as the one in the first film. No, but I, I thought the, the shark that ate Quint was pretty good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think they got the mouth a bit better on this one. It doesn't look quite as jowly. I think some of the tail movements aren't quite as uh, good, but, you know. But what what I really want to know is he had an awful short rope. Yeah. How the hell was he going to tow those kids with that short rope in a helicopter? <laughs> Don't know. Didn't think that one through very well. Well, they weren't going to get that far, were they? <laughs> and how come in the movies they throw a rope and everybody catches it? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but we digress. We digress. I think it retains the feel of the first film. It is more simplistic. There's not a, you know, there's not a lot of character development as opposed to the first film. I think it assumes you've seen the first film, so you. I was going to say it uses, it builds off the uh, previous previous character roles. Yeah, it's like Roy Scheider's character is the only one you really got a follow on from the first film. Right, right. Yeah, it's a great film. I give it a solid four. That's exactly what I gave it. Yeah. Wow, we're agreeing this week. Fucking hell. Yeah, it's a solid four bow-legged Spanish women, ladies, whatever, out of five for that one. Yep, yep. Excellent. Now I think we're going to go downhill. And quickly. And very, very quickly. Right, let's play a clip. A creature alive today has survived millions of years of evolution. It lives to kill a mindless eating machine that will attack and devour anything. One terrified you like nothing you have ever experienced when it captured your imagination 
and tapped your fear like no movie before it. Then, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, two continued the legend and spread the fear. Next summer, nature's most terrifying creature takes on an all-new dimension in an all-new adventure. And for the first time, the terror of Jaws will not stop at the edge of the screen. Jaws 3D. The third dimension is terror. Jaws 3D, 1983, directed by Joe Alves, starring Dennis Quaid, Bess Armstrong, Lou Gossett Jr., Simon McCorkendale, P.H. Moriarty, Leah Thompson, and Andy Hansen. Right, so you're laughing already. Oh, God, am I ever. I saw this in the cinema when it came out. I saw this one in the theatre. Yeah, uh, this was the only film I can remember me, my sister, and both my parents going to together. So there's a memory for you. Um, and obviously I was about, what was this, 83? So I was about six or seven, something like that. Okay, okay. So you're going to see Jaws on the big screen in 3D. It's exciting. And even as a young boy, I thought, bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem is, one, it's a very, very early 3D. So they would have the, uh, uh, what is it, blue and red glasses that you had to wear? Yeah, see, I'm pretty, I remember seeing it with, I think it was green and red glasses, but in our feedback, which we'll get to in a minute from Gore, he says it was clear glasses. So I don't know. One of us is wrong. Really, Gore? I thought it was uh, different color lenses, those paper ones. I'm pretty sure it was. I'm pretty sure it was. But, you know, you know, different cinemas, you never know. Because part of the problem was is they shot a whole bunch of 3D scenes and they're just terrible. They're shit. I mean, they're just horrible. Now, compare that to uh, Friday the 13th Part 3, which was in 3D, and I saw that also in the theater. Okay. Those 3D scenes translate okay. I don't know if it's because it was darker at night or a darker film, so it kind of hid some of the things. But these 3D ocean shots were just horrible. Bear in mind that Friday the 13th didn't have a 35-foot rubber thing that's supposed to look like a shark. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, right, well, let's get to the plot anyway. Um, oh, do we have to? Yeah, it's Jaws. It's in SeaWorld, Florida. That's basically it. Well, we've got Dennis Quaid this time playing Mike Brody, the eldest son of Chief Brody. Weird timeline in the Jaws films. Yes. Because Jaws 2 was made three years later, and I think the son says in one of the scenes that it's six years later. And one of the sons is aged about 10 years and the other one's aged about six months. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's a little bit all over the place. Yeah, yeah, it is. But anyway, Dennis Quaid is Mike Brody, who was the eldest son. Uh, Bess Armstrong plays his girlfriend, Catherine Morgan. They work at SeaWorld in Florida. Somebody gets attacked by a baby great white shark inside the park. So they capture that baby shark and then the mother comes looking for it. That's right. Ooh. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea of Jaws 3. I don't like the film. I don't even care for the idea of Jaws 3. It's basically a two-hour advert for SeaWorld. Yes. Why the fuck you'd want to go there after there's been a shark attack, I don't know. But 
That's a bit like having Towering Inferno advertise your new apartment block, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. Come and live here. The lifts don't work. The stairs fall apart. Well, come here anyway. Oh, God. The casting in this is very weird. I don't like any of the characters. Mike Brody's a pretty... He's not heroic. He's not... He's quite bland as a character in this film. Yep, yep. Um, I don't think Dennis Quaid does anything particularly wrong. I just don't think he's got a lot of material to work with. I think Bess Armstrong comes out of it the best. She's the best actress in the whole thing, or best actor in the whole thing. Yep. Simon McCorkendale plays Philip Fitzroyce, the token Brit who's going to save the day. Radi, radi, ra. He comes across like Boris Johnson's slightly fitter and more sporty elder brother. <laughs> don't like the character. Don't like the actor much anyway. Yeah. Lee Gossett Jr. Yeah. A year of, was it a year after Officer and a Gentleman? There we go. Here's a little fact for you. All right. Lou Gossett, Something like that. Lou Gossett Jr. got an Academy Award for Officer and a Gentleman. And his next film was Jaws 3 and he got a Razzie. Well, I mean, you know. All right. Name, name name the second actor to do that. I don't know. I'd take too long to think about it. All right. If I said to you he's in this franchise. Well, it's got to be one of two people, Roy Scheider or Richard Dreyfus. No, wrong way. Other way. Michael Caine. Michael Caine got a Academy Award for Hannah and her sisters, and his next film was Jaws the Revenge. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> and he got a Razzie for that. So there you go. Two actors who got Oscars and then Razzies, and they're both in the Jaws franchise. <laughs> what does that tell you? That the Jaws franchise was desperate. Yeah, this is a desperate film. Lou Gossett Jr. is awful in it. P.H. Moriarty plays Simon McCorkendale's sidekick, and he's fucking terrible in this. And I quite like P.H. Moriarty's. I don't know if you how well you know him over in the US, but he's in uh, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Oh, OK. Yeah, no. yeah, we really don't know him that well here. He pops up every now and again as a heavy. In the right film, I think he's OK. In this film, he's absolutely terrible. He's got some terrible lines as well. But the main thing about this film that really gets me is the shark looks absolutely shit. Yes. Doesn't even look like a shark. <laughs> it's terrible. It's some sort of big megalodon type thing. It just, all it does is it moves from side to side going, la, 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 just opening and closing its mouth randomly. Look, even Sharktopus on a TV movie looks better than this. Yeah, this is the budgets they're working with and the fact that it's, you know, early 80s, special effects have moved on from the 70s. You know, you look at a film like Orca Killer Whale that came after Jaws 2, which was a Jaws knockoff. Yes. Damn sight better than this. Oh, dear Lord, yes. Yeah. Mecha Shark versus Mega Shark, where they actually have a robotic shark fighting a Mega Shark, yeah. is better than this. Is it? I haven't seen oh, that God. one, but yeah, I can quite quite understand that. It doesn't even look like a shark. It looks shit. It's a boring film. It's got some awful dialogue. I mean, mommy, mommy, look at the big fish. <laughs> a, a random voice that comes out of nowhere because there's no children speaking in that scene. It's, just, it's a horrible film. It's not an enjoyable. It it's not an enjoyable film to watch. And I think that's what separates it from the one that comes next. It's just not an enjoyable film. And what I think about it, Jaws: The Revenge gets a lot of shit from people because the shark roars in it. It does in this one as well. Yeah, it does. It, it does. Does and it was more pronounced on the Blu-ray. Yeah. A roaring shark. And the Blu-ray does, the Blu-ray looks terrible. Um, I haven't watched it in 3D because I haven't got a 3D player, but, uh, I just watched the standard def, standard iDef transfer and it was grainy as fuck. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with because of the way they shot the film to get that 3D effect. Yeah. It's really bad considering, uh, you know, Jaws the Revenge looks, is, I'll be fair, Jaws the Revenge on Blu-ray does look pretty damn good. Really clear. This looks absolutely shit. My least favorite of the series, I'm going to say. It's, uh, this one is just terrible top to bottom. Yeah. I give it one. That's what I gave it. Party hell. It's not a film I enjoy. Um, I doubt whether I'll watch it again unless it's for research purposes. So, yeah, the DVD looks better than the Blu-ray, and that's a bad thing to say, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the DVD only looks bad because it's in such high definition. You can everything is magnified. You know. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's a poor film. It's not an exciting film. It's just shite on every level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes. <laughs> there's not a lot else to say about there's it. There's just nothing else to say. It's not, it's not good. If it's on telly late at night and you don't want to go to bed and it's on, stick it on if you like. But, you know, there are shitter but better films out there, if you know what I mean. This is one of those films where if the remote control isn't within your grasp and it's really late at night, you might watch due to sheer laziness. If you've lost the use of your legs and your hands and you can't physically change channel. That's right. That's right. Then it at least you could probably laugh at Lewis Gossett Jr. saying things like, no grenades. <laughs> What's his character's name? Calvin Bouchard. <laughs> Drinks are free. Oh, piss off. Yeah, I know. Yeah, not good. Not good. Shark looks crap. The attacks look crap. Shark effect, 3D effects are crap. Somebody has told me that they have watched this on 3D on a Blu-ray player and it looks okay. But, huh. And again, if if in the future I get a 3D player and a 3D telly, I'll give it another watch just to be sure. But that's about it. I mean, I have a 3D television, but I didn't even think about trying to watch it in 3D TV. No, but you'd have to have a player as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, if, if I get those bits of equipment, I will get, put it on just to see how the effects look. But that's the only time I'm probably going to watch it again. <sighs> exactly. Unless I'm in a hospital bed with complete paralysis and some bastard has left it on the telly and I can't do anything about it even then I'll just go to sleep <laughs> uh, right we've got some feedback from our friend Gore Blimey always glad Gore Blimey love you Gore and funnily enough this is the film that he's told us all about so we'll play that back and then uh, we'll have a little comment hi Chris and Myron Gore Blimey here from the Trilogy of Terror podcast the Jaws franchise is an interesting mix I still think the original is one of the most scary, tense films out there, and Jaws Revenge is up there as one of my favourite so-bad-it's-good movies. I rewatched Jaws 3 last night and took some notes for you of what I thought about it. There was a lot of fevered scrawling at the time, so apologies if this sounds a bit random and disorganised, and trust me, I had to take out a lot of ranting and swearing. After Jaws 3 came out, it was nominated for five Golden Raspberry Awards, or Razzes, and the shocking thing is, it didn't win any of them, which means there were movies that year that were even worse. And in this instalment of the Jaws series, the irony of water skiers literally jumping the shark was not lost on me at all. Right, deep breath, I'm getting ahead of myself here. I actually went to see this at the cinema, in 3D, when it first came out. I remember really well the special glasses. They were cardboard with Jaws 3D printed on them and had clear polarizer lenses. We'd moved beyond the old school red and blue by then and these ones gave you an enhanced experience of severe eye strain and splitting headache. 
But even at the time watching it, I do remember thinking the special effects were absolutely terrible. Shockingly bad blue screen that had people laughing in the cinema, speeded up stock footage of sharks, a stiff as a board dummy in the first half, and even a stop motion puppet wiggling its tail towards the end. My only real reason to go and see this was for the 3D experience, which was having a bit of a revival at the time. I'd imagined this would be an amazing opportunity to see sharp-toothed predators leaping right out of screen at you. No, it's really not like that. Most of the 3D is used on rubbish things that have no consequence to the story or the subject, like a random reed poking out towards the camera, or a crab on a sticky out bit of coral. It actually felt like they'd done all the filming, realised they'd forgot to put the 3D in, then went back and just inserted some random clips here and there. And on the very few occasions they do something interesting, it's handled so badly it's just funny. Things like a decapitated fish head, still breathing somehow, or a severed arm, float towards the camera, then pause there for a bit too long. But rather than gazing in wonder at the illusion of closeness, you just gawp at how rubbish it looks. Well, I did anyway. I don't know why it was so difficult to get rid of the shark here either. I mean, they've got Manimal walking around. I kept expecting him to turn into a killer whale and just scare the thing off. But I was sadly let down. He's all upper-class English accent, Union Jack patches on his diving suit and cocky attitude. And he has a henchman who says things like, Don't ignore the bleeding out, governor. Having said that, they did put Manimal Bloke in a revealing skin-tight wetsuit for half the film, so not all bad. Now, I understand this was filmed at an actual sea world or something. How did they agree to let them film it there? Showing how dangerous it would be if a killer shark got loose, technical faults during an emergency evacuation, trapping members of the public and nearly drowning them? Did they think this film might encourage more tourists to visit their attraction? Intriguing also that the SeaWorld-type place in the film decides to make a great white shark its star attraction and crowd-puller, considering most people have only heard of the great white from watching Jaws. I don't know, it doesn't seem right. Can a movie sequel assume fictional characters within it have seen its fictional predecessor? Not sure about all the science either. Sharks cannot swim backwards, even I know that. And I'm not entirely convinced that a wall of bubbles would safely keep a big one out, even if they are afraid of lava lamps or whatever it was he said. But when it inevitably does get through, I love the shark looking hungrily through the glass into the big restaurant, in the same way the restaurant guests had probably been looking at lobsters in a tank before choosing their main course. Okay, the story, the script, the acting and the special effects all make Shark Attack 3 Megalodon in comparison look like a Jacques Cousteau documentary. The climax of the film comes when a horribly blue-screened shark drifts slowly towards the control room window without moving a muscle, while people scream and panic in extreme slow motion. After it breaks through and starts chewing on someone, we clearly hear them cry out, Ow! Which not only seems like the world's biggest understatement, but it's underwater. Wouldn't it have sounded more like glug glug gurgle? All this silliness is quickly superseded by the unintentional comedy joy of the shark exploding and its dentures flying towards the camera, and then just sitting, hovering there for a moment. But all of that 
pales in comparison to the worst, worst effect of the film. They saved that till last. The piesta shit. Yes, it's that closing freeze-frame shot. Two laughing survivors in the water with a pair of leaping dolphins cut out and pasted on the screen really badly, as if done using Microsoft Paint. If ever a single image sums up this film, there it is. Right then. Yeah, thanks, Gore. Thank you, Gore. And don't forget to please check out Gore's podcast, Trilogy of Terror. Yes. Has the second one gone up yet? I don't think so. Oh. Well, re-listen to the first one. then. It's really good. I mean, he doesn't do long podcasts. They're very short, very succinct, very to the point, just like his feedback. Yep. So he thinks the same as me about Jaws 3. One thing I will pick him up on is... Oh, it's fun. I sound like a teacher, don't I? I'm going to pick him up on this. Um, no, he does question where it was filmed. I do believe that a lot of it was actually shot in SeaWorld. Really? Okay. Yeah. I know some of it was shot on the Universal backlot, and but there are some genuine scenes from SeaWorld in there. Huh, very cool. So, uh, yeah, is my is my belief. Somebody may correct me, but I'm pretty sure that's, that's it. Right then, should we move on to the next one? Yes, let's uh, wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, I shall play a trailer. Instinctively, man has always been drawn to the sea. Its beauty, its mystery, its secrets. But there is also a vague uncertainty, a sense of intrusion into an alien world, where man is unwelcome completely at the mercy of the most terrifying predator on earth. Man's deepest fear has risen again. Jaws, the revenge. This time, it's personal. Right, Jaws, the revenge, 1987. Directed by Joseph Sargent. Starring Lorraine Gary, Lance Guest, Karen Young, Mario Van Peebles, Michael Caine, Lynn Whitfield, and Melvin Van Peebles. There you go. That was Mario Van Peebles, wasn't it? It was, yes. Huh. Interesting. Putting on a very fake Jamaican accent. (laughs) It was terrible. (laughs) A very, very fake Jamaican accent by Mario Van Peebles. Synopsis was, there's another shark. There's another one. Fucking hell. You'd think they'd move inland, wouldn't you? Uh, you'd think so. See, if they didn't go to the beach, there wouldn't be a fucking problem, would there? That's right. That's right. Anyway, yeah, the Brody family, uh, Ellen Brody now thinks she's the target of a curse of some sort. <laughs> I know. It's... Oh, fucking hell. Have you read uh, the book? Is there a book? Yes. Ah, you don't know about this. No. Right. There's a book? There's a novelization. Oh, God. I believe it's by it's by Hank Searle, who did Jaws 2. Really? Yes. Interesting. Okay. And I'll tell you, I'm trying to say this with a straight face. The book gives you more. The book tries to justify why the shark is stalking the family. Would you like to know that reason why? Oh, Hank, Hank, Hank. Sure. It's to do with a voodoo curse. Of course it is. I believe it's... Oh, it's been years since I read this. It's either Chief Brody did something or Mike Brody did something. 
I think it's Mike Brody, did something to somebody and beat them up or whatever. And this voodoo priest has put a curse on the Brody family that a shark will haunt them, basically. Um, and in the book, you get chapters that are told from the shark's perspective. I think I have. I, think I don't the, even. The world has stopped spinning on its axis, as I say those words. I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> but this is going to sound really weird. But go with me. It's actually more satisfying than the film <laughs> because complete bollocks that it is. At least it's something. That's saying something. Yeah. Now, this film is terrible. It's universally loathed and despised by most people. (laughs) With good reason. With good reason. But I'm going to put this out here now. If you put this and Jaws 3 in front of me and said, watch one right now, I'd pick this one. Yes, me too. Because it's this is so bad it's good. This is the definition of it. It is terrible. But it's not good. It's just terrible. It's just less terrible than Jaws 3. Yeah. It's not as depressingly awful as Jaws 3, because at least in this, you've got Michael Caine, who's cashing paychecks then. I do believe he got ripped off by a manager or something. He got ripped off for millions and he was taking any role he could, because that's why he was doing stuff like The Island and Blame It on Rio and all that sort of stuff. And this. Uh, Okay. Famously, he missed out on uh, collecting his Oscar for Hannah and Her Sisters because he was filming this. And I think he said something along the lines afterwards. I've never seen Jaws the Revenge, but I've heard it's terrible. And then he says, I have, however, seen the house that it paid for. <laughs> Which is fair enough. Fair, fair play, Mr. Kane. Fair play, Mr. Kane. <laughs> he is the best thing in it. Um, my favorite scene is when he lands the plane on the sea. And he gets out and the shark jumps up and he just goes, oh, shit. <laughs> and dives back in the plane. I Now, I may be wrong here. I think there is a cut of this film where he comes out the plane, the shark jumps up and he says, oh, bloody hell, and jumps back in the plane again. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that is what he said in the version I saw at the cinema back in 86. Oh, God. But on the Blu-ray, he says, oh, shit, dives back in the plane. That's the best bit. The shark... It's better looking than the shark in Jaws 3. I'll give it that. Yes. Um, it looks like something that they chose for the first film but didn't want to use because it wasn't quite right. I think it's probably the most politest waves. It's not the shark the way the shark looks. It's the movement. It doesn't move like a shark. It looks like it's on a board and somebody's just steering it around. Yes, that's true too. Especially by the end of it, it seems to be flipping out of the water like a dolphin. Oh, that's a point. We didn't mention the shit dolphins at the end of Jaws 3, did we? <laughs> that superimposed onto the screen at the end. Oh, God. Well, well they were probably the best uh, the best acting turned in by the two dolphins, Sandy, and I don't remember the other one. Uh, I don't know. I was going to say Pepsi and Shirley. It's not them, is it? I can't remember. Yeah, sorry. Forgot to mention, going back to Jaws 2, Jaws 2's got a great score. Oh, yeah. No, 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 it does. That it, theme it, at the it, beginning it, when the credits are rolling and you've got that big... Dam, dam, dam. That's brilliant, that is. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. You don't get that in this film. No. <laughs> the whole the whole plot's a mess. The, the plot's whole... a mess. Lorraine Gary is not very good in it. She looks like Dee Snyder. Uh, it's the last film she made. I believe she was talked into it because she's married to one of the producers or something like that. Okay. Interestingly, Roy Scheider was asked to reprise his role as Chief Brody, and he politely told them to F off. <laughs> Quite wisely. Yes. 
Lance Guest is as wooden as the boat that he's sailing in. Uh, Mario Van Peebles is borderline racist with his accent. Uh, Karen Young has the most annoying scream when she's shouting people's names out. Have you heard it? Michael! Oh, God. <laughs> Shut, throw her in, somebody. Fucking hell. Oh. So, yeah, so... If you took Michael Caine out of this, there'd be nothing to enjoy at all. Yeah, he's the best thing in it. Read the book, watch the film, have a laugh. Don't take it seriously. This gets a one and a half from me. Funny, I actually gave it a full two. Wow, there you go. I, I did. I wouldn't blame anyone who did. I'll be honest, I did have an R over it. I was going to go to two, but one and a half. It's more fun than Jaws 3. It's still shit, but it's fun. Yes. Cool. So your ranking is going to be the same as mine. Yeah. Should we rank them first? And, or do you want to do feedback first? I've got a bit well, more feedback. Well, let's just rank them. I know we're going to go with Jaws, then Jaws 2, then Jaws 4, then Jaws 3. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we're, we're agreeing this week. There's no Amityville 2 disagreements here. That's scary. What, Amityville 2 was scary? No. Oh. That was shitty. No, it wasn't. It's scary that we uh, agree. We do. We have some more feedback from our friend Amanda. Oh, love Amanda. Oh, we love Amanda. She's made for TV mayhem. Uh, let's see if we still love her after this feedback, shall we? Yep. Manda says, Hi guys, I'm kind of a shark movie junkie. My love of sharks started when I was roughly five or six and continues to this day. In fact, I even did the whole shark cage thing when I was in Hawaii a few years ago. It was awesome and surprisingly not scary. I'd love to go in a shark cage. That'd be fantastic. With a few exceptions. <laughs> what? What? I would. <laughs> Have you not seen a movie called Jaws? Yeah, not that shark cage. Okay, all right. I don't think me and Richard Dreyfus would fit in one together. He was in a film I watched last night, actually. No, we wouldn't fit in one. <laughs> she continues, with a few exceptions, I try to watch anything and everything that comes out in the shark attack subgenre. School has kept me away from some modern titles such as The Reef and the new one, The Shallows, but I've seen enough to know what I like and don't. And so here are a few words about the Jaws series. Jaws. Obviously, this one is great, and it's my all-time favourite film, jump-starting my fascination with sharks. Myron may remember this. Here in the States, Jaws seems to run every Sunday on the ABC Sunday night at the movies in the late 70s and early 80s. So I grew up with the characters and Amity. Do you remember that? Yep, I do. You do? There you go. I do. We sort of had it playing over here quite regularly as well. A good friend of mine told me if he ever got rich, he was going to have a suit made with little anchors on it, just like the one Murray Hamilton wears in the film. This is an example of how Jaws sits in our collective consciousness. The characters and the storytelling is timeless. Such a wonderful film. Yes, very true. Also, I'm in love with Deputy Hendrix. That's Amanda, not me. Played by the adorable Jeffrey Kramer. He should have had his own film and we should be married. (laughs) There's still time, Amanda. All right. Now, I get that Jaws is a timeless work of art and it is indeed my favourite film. But I watch Jaws 2 way more than I watch the original. It's like what we said earlier. It's like a slasher film with a shark as the unstoppable killer. And Lord Almighty, there's tons of awesome shark footage. Like all good sequels, it ups the violence and the action and has always been a film I can watch at any time. Plus, Deputy Hendrick's part is expanded a little bit. Well, that sounds rude. That must have been another version I haven't seen. Yeah, I'm just thinking the same thing. Yeah. Hendrick's expanded part. Anyway. I love him. Did I mention that? Also, random. If memory serves, in the first film, Hendrick's first name is Len or something like that. In the sequel, he's referred to as Jeff, which is the actor's real first name. That's how many times I've seen these films. 
Uh, I'm going to have to correct you there, Amanda. Uh, the character of Len is actually one of the counsellors. He's in the first and second film. He's the one that uh, Brody doesn't uh, agree with on most things. That's the character of Len. I don't think Hendrix's first name is referred to in the first film. Uh, where Interesting. are we? Yes. Uh, my favourite scene in Jaws 2 is when Marge is eaten whole. For a while, there was a 10-plus page thread on IMDb discussing poor Marge's death. Yeah. <laughs> She died a hero. It was certainly one of the most disturbing things I saw as a kid, and it haunted me. I also like when the scuba diver swims past the shark, because there's an awesome close-up of Bruce, and it's freaky. Yeah, we must say the shark is nicknamed Bruce, after uh, Steven Spielberg's uh, lawyer, I believe. Yes, yes, yes. Overall, all of the deaths are memorable and amazing, and still terrifying to a degree. It's an underrated gem, as far as I'm concerned. I think Jaws 3 is fun. Oh, dear. I saw it in 3D when it came out, so I have the memory of that, which I think helps the film stay in my good graces. But overall, it's lightweight and easy to watch. It also helped greatly by actors putting in genuine performances. It's hilarious that Simon McCorkindale, who played Manimal, was taken down by Jaws. That seems so ironic. That scene was also another childhood nightmare. The point of view from inside the shark's mouth is really disturbing and pretty unique. Surprisingly effective for such a film. The other best scene is easily when the people are in the underwater tunnel and Jaws attacks. I've also been in a glass tunnel in a shark exhibit, but nothing happened and I was disappointed. <laughs> Bit like Jaws 3 then. Now, I'm in the min- minority, but I don't really mind Jaws 4. Depending on my mood, it's either really horrible or somewhat fun. I love that the shark is seeking out family members and Lance Guest looks super hot with a beard. I think a different studio made this one. Uh, no, they didn't. It was Universal. So the shark looks really clunky. It looks clunky because it's shit. I did watch Jaws 4 with my nephew once and he refused to get in the pool afterwards, so it has an effect on some people. (laughs) Young, naive people. (laughs) Also, I prefer the end where Mario Van Peebles lives. Kind of a fun nod to Lance Guest's resurrection in the TV version of Halloween 2. Unintentional for sure, but funny. That ended up being a lot. Sorry, looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Amanda. Thanks, Amanda. Yep, thank you. And uh, we kind of depart on... uh... Jaws 3, don't we? Yeah. Um, Manda, you've got to stop being so nice about things. You can say if a film is shit. You really can. <laughs> Sometimes you have to stop with the positives and just say it as it is. <laughs> Amityville 2 is terrible. See, Myron is titled to say that. He's wrong, but he's entitled to say that. <laughs> just look at our Twitter feeds to see how many people back me up. And I know Amanda backs me up on that one as well. Oh... Everybody yeah. backs you up. I know. Yeah, uh, she agrees with us on Jaws 4, though, that it's it can be horrible, but it is somewhat fun. Yes. Yes. She also mentions the ending where Mary Van Peebles lives, because there are two versions of this film. Have you seen that? Yes, yes. Yeah, both I endings, because <laughs> in the one ending, the shark gets speared by the boat, of course, and sinks to the bottom of the sea with the boat still attached to it. Uh, in the ending that we actually get for the theatrical version... The shark gets speared by the boat and inexplicably explodes. Because sharks do that. They've got a canister of gas inside them. I know. Absolute bollocks. Um, I will say that the ending where it gets speared and you see it sinking to the bottom, I actually quite like that image of the sharks floating to the bottom with the front of the boat stuck in it. That's it it's, it's a far cry better than a spontaneous combusting shark. Yeah, in the theatrical, the shark explodes and the shot they use to show the shark sinking to the bottom is the same as the one from the first film. So it's sinking to the bottom. And if you look carefully, you can see the ropes and barrels that are still attached to it. Absolute disgrace ending that film. They should have stuck with the other one. At least there was a bit of blood in it. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, she also says that uh, she thinks it's a nod to Lance Guest's resurrection in Halloween 2. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's not what Joseph Sargent had in mind. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure too. Yeah. I like her comment about um, Murray Hamilton's suit in the first one. You know, he's wearing a suit with anchors on it, you know, and there's right. and they got a shark problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, brilliant. Thanks Amanda, always love to hear from you. Yeah, you always bring you always bring something to the feedback which we don't always uh always exactly. always spot. So, thank you very much. Right then, that's Jaws done and dusted. Should we move on? Let's move on. Let's move on. We are going to do a quick look. Start again. We're going to do a quick review of a new film called The Witch. I Highly play. anticipated new film. Highly anticipated. Let's play a trailer. out into this wilderness to find leaving our country kindred our father's houses for what for the kingdom of god let us pray this family. From 2015, directed by Robert Eggers, starring Ralph Innocent, Anya Taylor-Joy, Kate Dickey, Harvey Scrimshaw, Lucas Dawson, Julian Richings. Right then, do you want to do a read-out of synopsis? No, go ahead. You want me to do it, all right. Yes, I do. Okay. A family in 1630s New England is torn apart by the forces of witchcraft, black magic, and possession. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. So, I watched this the other night. This has been around for a while on the festival circuit. Uh, I think it's been out in the US on Blu-ray for a while. Yes, it has. Yeah, it came out here last week. 
so I bought a copy and I watched it two nights ago. No, I've seen it in the theater as well. Right. OK. I didn't see it in theaters. So, so what did you think? I loved it. You loved it. I did. I thought it was um, it really captured an old English style ghost story. Yeah. Extremely well acted. Lots of tension. Very much a slow burn. There's nothing overt. Everything is kind of under the covers, down a layer, so to speak. Yeah. Really, really good. It keeps you guessing because you, oh, is this going on? No, wait a minute. That's going on. No, this is going on. It, it's a very, very much a mental gymnastics type of movie. Hmm. Okay. Surprisingly enough, I'm going to agree with you. Really? Yes. I really like this. I watched this with my wife on Friday. And when it finished, my wife went, oh, well, that was a waste of time, wasn't it? <laughs> and I said, no, it wasn't. But I had to sit back and think about it after I'd watched it. Yes. I didn't, yes. Straight, I didn't straight away go, oh, that was brilliant. Um, I knew I liked it, but I wasn't sure why. And so I sat and I pondered it over a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty, it captures that, like you said, that New England medieval feel. Very much in the same tone as things like Witchfinder General. Um, what was the other film I thought of? Oh, God. I can't remember now. There's another th- film I thought of that came up like it. Um, can't remember. No. For whatever reason, for me, it, I kept thinking of uh, the uh, trilogy Black Sabbath. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. If, I, I don't know why, but it just kept, you know. Um, I suppose there's that oppressive tone to it, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, especially in the... Uh, is it... Is it the last one where the, the vampires in... Uh... It depends what version you see, because the Italian version, the, they're all in a different sequence. Oh, okay. But yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I know the, the shot, the, the one with Boris Karloff in. Yes, as that's the, old, the as one. The old guy, yeah. Yes, yes, that's the one. Yeah, the vibe is very much the same. It very much made me think of that. And you know, it's funny because I agree with you. It's uh, When I saw it, you know, I kept thinking, was she really possessed? Or was it just going crazy? Yeah. You know, it's just something you just have to almost constantly think about. Yeah. Uh, I think what helps with this film is the acting. The acting is superb from everybody. It is it is top notch. It's very, 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 very period. Yeah. Very. It's quite nice to see Ralph Innocent in a, in a lead role in a film like this. Are you aware of who he is? No. No, he plays the father. He's probably best known over here. You know, The Office, the comedy? Yes. He's in the British version of The Office. Oh, he is. Yeah, uh, and he does lots of um, voiceover work for adverts and things. You'll hear. Oh, his... okay, okay, I gotcha. He does a lot of that, but he, do, he pops up in comedies and things every now and again. But yeah, really, really good. He played a really good uh, sort of puritanical father. I dare say, if this film had been made sort of forty, fifty years ago, it would have been Christopher Lee or somebody like that in that sort of role. The daughter was played by Anya Taylor Joy, I believe her name is. She was really good. Um, Lots of undertones of burgeoning womanhood and things like that in this film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. She's a teenager who's, uh, I think the mother drops the line at some point that she's becoming a woman. Kate Dickey plays the mother. Yeah, again, very, very good. Yeah, the acting was just top notch. And I think that helps because if you'd have got this casting wrong, because it's a slow burning film, you've got to have actors and characters that you can stick with. Right, right. For, For an hour and a half of essentially not a lot happening. Right. But, and um, I mean, the whole family, all the actors, even actresses. even the two young children. Absolutely. Were very, very good. Oh, God, yes. Um, and there's some, there's a little bit of misdirection in there as well, because you're supposed to think that the, the two young children may be possessed at some point. And which, you do think it. And you do think it. 
but, you do think it. But they're not. Yes. But they, they talk to the goat who's called Black Philip. Only in a way that, you know, kids playing games do. You know, they talk to animals and that sort of thing. And it's only after that happens that you think, oh, maybe there's something in this. Yeah, exactly. And, and Black Philip sort of comes forward as, as the icon of the film. Absolutely. And then when the shit does start to happen in the final act, it's all the more effective for it. He is Satan. He is Satan. We are going to spoil this. And uh, I can't remember the daughter's name. What was it? It was Thomason, wasn't it? Thomason sells her soul to the devil, basically, and becomes a witch. Yes. I love that final scene of the witches in the woods. But they they never actually focus on that part of it. No. It's it's all implied. Well, the film is called The Witch, but there's actually more than one witch. Yes. There's a whole coven yes. of them. Yes. But you never, I mean, it's not like, if this was made um, in 2016, that connection would have been a stronger, you know, much darker line from Thomason to the coven. Yeah. But even at the end of the movie, you know that's what happened, but it's still all very, did it really happen? Yeah. I th- you know I th- what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it does play ambiguous if you want to read it like that, but I think, yes, it did happen. I, I think you can take it at face value. Yes, but you, you're left with a lingering doubt. It makes you think. Yeah, was it her? Was it in her mind? Did the devil possess the children? Did it possess the mother? Because the mother tries to kill her at one point. Absolutely. Are all these changes happening because of she's growing into womanhood, her body's changing, she's feeling different feelings and all that sort of stuff? Which is, I mean, that that whole coming into womanhood is, uh, God, how many witch movies have been made about that? Well, lots. I mean, not even witch movies. I mean, things like Carrie as well. Play, oh, absolutely. Playing to that sort of, which you could exactly. argue, you could argue is a witch movie of sorts. But um, well, it is, but yeah, you know. it's not so overt as that. I mean, it's not as overt as something as say, uh, Laws of Salem springs to mind for some reason. Yes, that was very overt. There was a yeah. dark line. Yeah. So I love that final scene with the witch, and I think that was more of a credible scene than the witch stuff that you get in Lords of Salem, <laughs> which is a film that I do like. I really do like that. I, I do too. It, it, yes, it is much more credible. Um, Lords of Salem went a little Michael Bay at the end. It went a little too Rob Zombie at some points. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I never thought I'd say that because I'm a massive Rob Zombie fan. But uh, but yeah, this gives it to you in a more subtle way, in a more yes. be- believable way, in yep. not 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 so on the nose. Um, like you say, you get the glimpse of the witches around the coven and they're having a dance and they're all being lifted up in the air by the power of Satan. But it never lingers on it. It never becomes the, the driving force of the story, if you like. And I guess for me, one of the true tests of this movie is you, you're not left with, oh, why did she become a witch and sell her soul? Whereas, you know, in a lot of other movies, you want to know that why. This one, you don't even care about the why because yeah. you're too caught up in everything else. Yeah. There's a lot of subtext going in on this, like we've said, you know, the uh, oncoming womanhood. But there's also things like the effect of uh, religion on a family yes. because a lot of this can be put down to the father's puritanical beliefs. Um, you know, that he's willing to ignore what's happening in his family for the sake of following what he calls like the one true God type thing. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's it's fantastically written. It's a well observed film because I believe the director took you know um, a lot of true texts and things from that period and wove it into this film. It shows that he did his research. Yes, absolutely. More than we ever do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's one of those films that it, so anybody does more research than we do. That's true. Even Donald Trump probably does more research than we do. No, no, <laughs> no, and that's great. <laughs> Yeah, uh, 
so going into this, I wasn't sure what to expect because a lot of modern horror films, they get hyped to absolute silly levels now, you know. So when, inevitably, when you watch it, it's always going to be a disappointment. This got a lot of hype. It has been around for a long time. I think it's thoroughly deserving of it. Yes, yes. I think this is this is a, what a horror film should be. It's, uh yeah. It's not especially gruesome. There is some blood in it. It's just, is an aura about it. It's very haunting, very doomy. Yeah, and very satisfying, I think. It is. It is. It I, is. Can't, I can't wait to watch it again, actually. Um, yeah, it's a very slow film. Not a lot happens for the first hour. It's really setting things up. Right, right. But like I say, the performances are so good that you, you want to follow what happens to each character. And when it all explodes at the end, there is an emotional payoff. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So, what did you score it? I gave it a five. Ooh, okay. I erred on the side of caution. I went four and a half. Now, why did you go four and a half? I'm just, I'm really curious. I think that may change when I watch it again. Okay. I just felt my own criteria for a perfect film, a perfect five score. I think maybe there was a couple of scenes in there where I may have squeezed it down a little bit. Maybe there was a little bit too much dialogue where there didn't need to be just in one or two places. But I think, yeah, it may change if I watch it again, because I've been I've, it's remained in my head for the last couple of days. Huh. OK. So, you know, I'll say four and a half now, possible five if I watch it again. I'll let you know what happens. Cool. I, I'm just shocked that you gave it 4.5. Why? Did you think I'd hate it? I knew I didn't know what you would think, but there were to in my mind, there was two possibilities. Mm hmm. A one or a five, nothing in between. <laughs> Seriously. I okay. mean, that's when, when you said we'll do this, I thought, okay, I'll, I'm really interested because I knew it's either going to be a one or a five with you. For whatever oh. reason, I just, for some reason, I thought there's only going to be two ways he's going to go, nothing in between. I am a big fan of what I would call folk horror. You know, things like Witchfinder General, Blood on Satan's Claw. That's the film I was trying to think of. Blood on Satan's Claw. The Wicker Man, all that type of stuff. I love all that. I love witchcraft, occultism. If it's done properly in a film, I love to see that. Do you ever listen to a podcast called The Podcast on Haunted Hill? I have done, yes. They do a whole thing on folk horror. Yeah. They talk about Wicker Man and Kill List. Yeah, that's right. Give that a listen. Okay. Listening to those guys describe Wicker Man is absolutely hysterical. <laughs> Kill List is another film I need to go back to because I wasn't completely sold on that one. Really? Yeah. I I, I watched it and then ended up having a, a little bit of a, a chat with uh, Duncan. Oh, from? From a podcast under the stairs about it. Yeah. 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 I, I was not necessarily confused by the end, but it was an odd ending. And I he we talked about it and he gave me some of his theories. And it, yeah, you got to go watch it again. Yeah, I know. He loves that film. Yeah. I didn't not like it, but I want to watch it again just to get it clear in my head sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think The Witch fits in perfectly well with those films, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching it again. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you uh, have you seen Ben Wheatley's other films? Uh, I've seen Sightseers. Which was cracked me up. Which was good. I haven't seen Field in England. I haven't either yet. I haven't been able to find it. And I have seen his first film, and the name of which escapes me. He's got a new one coming out called High Rise. Is he the director or is he the, just the producer? Director, I thought. Is he? Because I know he's put his name to something else that's coming out recently as well. Hang on, let me have a look before I make a total tit of myself. No, he did direct High Rise. High Rise, you're correct. 
Yeah, Sightseer's Kill List. I've seen. He did a segment in ABCs of Death. You is for Unearthed. Down Terrace. That's the film I'm thinking of. I've seen Down Terrace as well. So yeah, he's a, he's definitely a filmmaker with, who thinks in that way. Yeah, that, that folk horror way, but trying Absolutely. to trying to spice it up a bit, which is good. I like it. Absolutely. And I love the poster for the witch as well. That silhouette of the the naked woman in the woods. Yes. 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 Anything with naked women's good by me, but absolutely, buddy. <laughs> yeah. As as we're getting a reputation for. <laughs> well, next next time we get together, I uh, uh, so podcast on Haunted Hill is ho- hosted by two guys, Stan and Gav. And, yeah. Uh, Gav is a, a a bit of a filmmaker. Is he now? Yeah, he did, and he did a found footage movie. Oh, for fuck's sake! Yeah. <laughs> don't don't listen to Chris Gaff. Don't worry about it. Uh, but yeah, he sent me a link. I gotta. I want to watch it and uh, uh, talk about it next time. Well, you can do that next time. That's right. Only because I haven't watched it yet. Okay. <laughs> so it could be good, bad, or ugly. It could be. It could be one of them. We know what section it's gonna go in. Don't be daft. <laughs> oh. Anyway. Right, I think that wraps us up for today. Next time, show number 16, I think we've decided we're going to book ourselves into the Bates Motel. Yes. Yes, we're going to do Psycho. Yes. We're going to do the four Anthony Perkins films, plus a quick look over the remake. And I think we're going to throw in a review of Microwave Massacre as well. Yes, we are. We are indeed. This show won't be going out till the beginning of August. Uh, I'm then on holiday for a couple of weeks, so we're probably not going to be recording till the end of August. If that's okay with everyone? It's okay with me. Fucking shame if it's not, because that's what's happening. (laughs) In that time, I am going to put out on our Twitter feed, uh, I'm going to put out a little poll, because in the shows leading up to show number 20, we want to do one of the big boys, either Friday the 13th or Halloween. And we're not sure which one to do, so I'm going to put it out as a poll on the Twitter feed, so you lot can decide. Isn't that exciting? Yes, it is. (laughs) So, keep an eye out on our Twitter feed, ancient underscore slumber. I'll be putting out a poll out. For show 17, 18 and 19, do you want us to do Friday the 13th or Halloween? I know which one Myron would prefer. That would surprise you. Really? Oh, are you siding with me on this one then? Yes, I am. Okay, well, let's put it out to the people. Actually, believe it or not, I am. Okay. I actually just rewatched all the Halloween, so, you know, I'm in the Halloween mindset, but I haven't delved into friday the 13th as much as i've watched all the halloween ones oh okay so it's it's a series i don't know as much about movie wise uh compared to the halloween ones oh interesting okay well let's put it out to the people anyway because now i've said it so 78 19 either friday the 13th or halloween you can cast your votes uh if you want to if you want to get hold of us any other way you can do so on our email address which is ancient slumber podcast at gmail.com for any feedback, we're on Twitter, ancient underscore slumber. Both Mara and I are on Twitter individually. I am at Horrorsmith, and you are? At M-A-S-C-H-E-M 67. Oh, Mazchem 67. And That's right. We're also both on Letterboxd, and we have a YouTube channel as well. I think that covers everything. Um, please stick in some iTunes reviews and bump us up the rankings. And that's about it. We'll see you next time for a dose of Norman Bates and some mother love. That's right. Oh, can't wait. (laughs) That was a bit Frankie Howard, wasn't it? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) 
Every anytime I anytime you say the word Frankie, all I can think of is Frankie the girl in the final option. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, over here, Frankie Howard. Oh, uh, you'd know him if you saw him. Anyway, righty ho. We'll see you next time. Have a good summer, everyone. Bye. Bye. You're all the same. Complain, complain. Oh shit.